Guys, for the listeners, I tried to print the episode notes before. I thought we're just pausing and this is going to be cut out. No, we're just going to leave this in there. Oh, I wouldn't have cursed so much. Unless it was my 12-year-old daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Then I would have been off the fucking rails. (laughs) Welcome to Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanez, purpose and intuition coach. And I'm Melissa Grushka, and I'm perfect. Dean, today we're going to talk about perfectionism. That's perfect. Get it? Hey, Bean, what's up? Nothing. What's shaking, Bacon? Bean, it's been a couple weeks since we recorded, actually. It has been. We had some tech difficulties, and then it was a holiday. I feel like when we say that, it'll be so late, so that feels weird. Should I not say that? Well, it's not. We didn't not record because of the holiday. We didn't record because what happened? We didn't record. Oh, internet issues. Duh. I was in Tahoe and I didn't have internet. Okay, wait. Before we get into our nonsense, yeah. let's just start by saying to all of you amazing listeners who have been yeah. with us this whole time, thank you. We love all the feedback. We love the messages, the text. If you love us and you want to support this show, the best way you can do that is to share it with as many friends as possible and also to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere you're listening to this. But please, please, please share. We want to see this podcast get to as many ears as possible. So thank you in advance for doing that. Thank you. Um. All right. Anyway, so we didn't record. Yeah. We missed each other. How was your last couple weeks? Tell me anything cringy that's happened for you. I have a whopper of a story. Ooh, I have a pretty good one, but it's not, okay. it's not, I wouldn't call it a whopper. So maybe, you know mm. what? I'm going to take us out. I'm going to start because I feel like your whopper should end the segment. I agree. Um, I'm going to drop the mic. I'm going (laughs) to – don't do that though. I'm going to just give you a real quick roundup of what happened. I'm at dinner with friends and my husband and the waiter is standing next to us at the table and he's trying to get our appetizer. We're sort of trying to coordinate amongst ourselves. I have a new babysitter home with my kids. I get a text from my oldest saying the dog is being really aggressive. In my head, I'm thinking, oh, no. Well, what I'm really thinking in my head is a curse word and how I have to share this information with Corey. And there's just a lot happening and I'm not thinking. So I unconsciously text back to my 12-year-old, fuck, immediately (laughs) after she writes, the dog's being aggressive. I write in capitals, fuck. And she writes back immediately, whoa. And I go into this like insane apology text thread of like, I can't believe I did that. I'm so sorry. I'm going on and on. And her response is, it's okay, LOL. She was like writing that down for therapy in 12 years. Yeah. It's okay, LOL. Wait a minute. I think that she probably like loves you even more now because you just like showed her your really human side. No, she was panicked. I could tell by her text. It's okay, LOL. (laughs) Wait, did you address it when you saw her Mm -hmm. or not? Yeah, I said I was really sorry. She was like, it's okay. It's okay, LOL. (laughs) I felt really terrible. Imagine being on her end. <laughs> Wait, and I'm not going to lie to you. This happened like a week ago let's or two weeks ago. I'm not even sure at this point when this happened. And then she was messing with me again this week and oh, texted no. me from Corey's cell phone pretending that oh, she was Corey. No. And I immediately write back, fuck, to that response too. I guess I say <laughs> the F word a lot. And then... She goes, it was Evie. I was just joking or something. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, now she, listen, now she, she couldn't have been that disturbed if she's messing with you from 
Corey's phone. Maybe she thinks it's funny to get a see if she can get a rise out of you. And I think the moral of the story is we're not perfect. Stop saying the F word to your 12-year-old. Stop, stop cursing at your kids, please. <laughs> Rule number one. That's funny. I like that, Bean. You know what? I think that she it seriously feels like even more. I feel like she feels more connected to you because you're not perfect. <clears throat> I love that you're making this positive when it's honestly mortifying. But also do you like how I tied it in. Yeah, but I tied it in first. Did you just take that? I said the moral of the story oh. here is we're not perfect. Oh, I missed then that. You, then you did it and took credit. <laughs> I mansplained your joke. You did. Excuse you. That was You're mine. Welcome. I'll take it back, I'm please. Sorry. Okay, I give it. I give All right, give credit. me your whopper. Wop it up. Oh, my God. You know what? I don't know how to tell you the long version of the story or the medium or the short, so we'll just get on this ride. And All right, I'm here. All right, we'll see. Buckle up. Um, I was in Lake Tahoe, California for two weeks. My husband grew up there. It's a place we go and love. We stay in his childhood home. It's amazing. Um, and we went to a wedding. Well, okay. Let me rewind and say this. Those of you who are friends of ours in Tahoe are not included in what I'm about to say, yes. because if you were, we would not be hanging out with you. So I hope those this of you gets listening really offensive. Who are Tahoe friends, please know I'm not talking about you, honestly, because we have some really awesome friends who love and care about us and make me feel really uh, welcome there. But Tahoe is a very, very white space. Like white as in Caucasian? As in Caucasian, yes. And so you don't see a lot of people of color um, when you're there if it's not ski season. Ski season, you see people coming up a ton from all over the place to ski. But we were there. It was summer. Um, and so there's a lot of just like, I don't know, there's looks. There's there's just some weirdness you notice. Like at your brownness? Looks at your brownness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of just, you know, like extra long staring or um, the other thing I notice is sometimes in big groups like that, I don't get any questions about myself or curiosity. I'm more just kind of the listener and I'm listening to people's stories and there's no interest in me. Again, not our close friends there, but sometimes when I'm in these big groups, I feel a little like um, wallpaper. So anyway, all of that said, uh, we go to this wedding. TJ's very, very, very good friend from high school is getting married and or got married. And we went to this wedding and we are on the dance floor. And as I'm walking away to go get a drink, I bump into this very, how do I describe him? What did I say to you? I called you about this. Oh, I said, imagine Carl Lagerfeld. Oh, yes. That's what you did. And then I described him to a T. Yeah. Yeah. We This very interesting looking man, older, kind of longer white hair, very lanky, um, had an accent. So the bride's family is partially from South Africa. Anyway, long story short, I bump into him and he kind of stares at me and I'm like, oh my God, I am so sorry. And I walk away and I'm like, oh my God, TJ, look, I bumped into that guy, that Carl Lagerfeld guy. He looks really pissed off. But then throughout the night, he keeps pulling people over and pointing at me from across the dance floor, literally pointing, saying something. The other person nods. Then he'll bring another person over and point and say something. And this happened for like 30 minutes. And I'm like, what the hell? I really offended this man. I should not have bumped into this, this man. He's very offended. TJ has to go away at some point to do something for the groom. And I am walking away. And he comes over to me, Carl Lagerfeld, man, with two older women who are his sisters, he tells me. They half circle surround me. And he's like, hello. And I'm like, hi. He's like, I was just 
telling everyone how exotic looking you are. Exotic looking. I'm sorry. Like a bird in a cage. I get that that made you feel awful. I totally do. I'm not downplaying that. But like, you're so, I'm not just because I'm on the Mori train. Like, you're so objectively so beautiful. People always stare at you. It's always been like this. Okay. You can say beautiful then, but thank you. I appreciate that. But exotic means you look different. Yes. Okay. So if you want to just say you're beautiful, you can say you're beautiful. Don't make me cancel you on this podcast. Beam. Sorry. But I just think that exotic, <laughs> no, he wanted kidding. to he wanted to relate to you that you're more than just beautiful. You're like so unique looking. You're not just like another pretty girl. What I'm saying is I'm in love with you. Yeah. <laughs> but exotic is not a term you use for human beings. It's okay. a term you use for plants. And if I had the right state of mind, that's exactly what I would have said. But I was so caught off guard that I was like, uh, oh, thank you. And then he's, this is where it gets worse. Where are you from? And I say, I could have done the thing where I'm like, well, I'm American. But I was like, I'm, I know what he's asking. So I right. said, I'm Persian. And he said, oh, too bad. You could have passed for Italian. That's offensive. Uh, thank you. The, the too bad. So is- then I'm like, yeah. Too bad you could have passed for Italian. And then I said, oh, okay. Um, I think Persian's pretty great. And he's like, yes. And then he starts talking to me about himself for about 10 minutes, at which point I'm paralyzed and frozen and feel like I've been caged in. He keeps bringing sisters over. I don't even know where the sisters are coming from and keeps introducing the exotic bird he's caught. They wow. literally at this point have fully encircled me. They're they asked me my full you. name. They're like, Ca-ca! they asked me my full name. Yeah, it's like they have found like an indigenous person, and they're trying to like understand. You, yes, you eat. So food. then he's like, "What? <laughs> what's your name? And uh, what's your full name?" So I say Morvarid, and then each of them just say Morvarid, Morvarid, Morvarid. They like hand it around like a sacred chalice that they each take a nice drink. Yeah, from. maybe they were casting a spell. Maybe, but then at the end. He says, and you are looking so fit. How do you do that? And by this time, I'm like, I'm not talking to you about my body. Ooh. So I was like, I don't know. I, I guess it's my metabolism. I'm just trying You're to say some sort so of way thing. And he says, we have great metabolism, us Italians, don't we? <laughs> he was like, refused to accept that you were Persian. He had to he claim just, you as his own. I ended up being, yeah, I was exotic Italian. Anyway, he wasn't even Italian. He was a white person from South Africa who I guess has Italian blood. Who comments on someone being fit? I just mean the whole thing was so cringe. Talk about cringe. I mean, I literally thought I I called you on this one. So you're not hearing this for the first time because I swore you had set this up and we're going to jump out of a bush and start laughing at me because it felt like an SNL sketch sketch. Like it was so over the top. The guy was so over the top. It was so offensive. It was so crazy. I was so uncomfortable that I was like, Bean is behind this somehow. And But there was no Bean behind the bush. And it, then it was sad. Do you know who I kept envisioning when you were telling me the story? Remember that guy from Nashville who was like a great dancer when we were at Justin Timberlake's lounge? No. Hashtag Justin Timberlake. <laughs> he was such a great dancer. He danced with all the ladies. He was wearing like a nautical outfit. Oh, the guy who like danced you over to the dance floor? Yeah. He like escorted me. I was like, do you work here? Yeah. Yes. Sort of like that. Yeah. Like a wealthy looking, older, yes, European yes. white man Correct. who clearly thinks that being Persian goes on the negative checklist, on the con list. But you are fit. <sighs> you got that run going for you. So anyway, I was just not, I needed to get back home. You know what I'm saying? It was time. To leave. <laughs> You're in a safe space. Love Tahoe. Now. Love it. Love You're it. You're in a safe space now. 
I'm in a safe space. Thank you. So that sounds like it wasn't perfect. If you know, if you catch my drift. Oh, good job. You're going to say it now and take credit for it. You're going to be like, well, that wasn't perfect. So let's <laughs> Didn't that make a good transition. I, so I'm going to, we're talking about perfectionism. You transition. You won that. You won the chance to do the transition. Thank you. I appreciate the trophy. Why? Why are we talking about perfectionism? I don't know because it sucks because everybody knows about it and everybody struggles with it to some degree. In fact, I'm going to share a little something. When we first discussed this topic amongst our group, <laughs> I said, yeah, I could talk about it, but honestly, I just don't chase that. Like, that's just not my vibe. So it's going to be really hard for me to talk about it. But then after I sat with it for a long time, and then a longer time after we had technical difficulties, I realized I totally do in areas, I don't necessarily chase perfectionism, but I'm chasing some version of what I'm looking to do that's just higher, a different level than I can achieve at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I should feel like a little more settled with where I am. For let me yeah. let me give an example of that. Okay. Um, like I, when we first discussed it, I was like, I don't really care. Like I don't feel this need to keep up and be and do everything everyone's doing. But I do have my own internal levels of what I would like to be doing better at. Like I have this mm-hmm. obsession with being more organized. I am not an organized person, but I crave it so badly. And in my mind, the idea of being organized is having everything in set bins in your closet and you open everything and everything looks a certain way, which by definition, I guess, is what organization looks like. But it's not to say that I'm not getting there. I've gotten a lot better than I used to be. I know where most things are in my home. Um, I've been improving on my organization, yet I still say that I'm like terrible at it. Okay. But let me ask you a question. What does what does being more organized, what would it mean about you? Like, what is that version of Melissa? Right. Nothing. Literally nothing. It doesn't it mean anything feels- to you? Oh. It doesn't mean that you're more, in your mind, does it make you more responsible? Does it make you yeah. more, right? You get in my head it's right like, now. Walk in. Come on. The door is open. I think when we have these ideals of perfection in whatever area, and by the way, I'm very proud of you that you went and thought about it. Because when you told me and the producers that you did not crave perfectionism, and we all rolled our eyes at you like, oh, okay, must be nice to be so perfect that you don't have to be perfect. No, it wasn't even that. I'm kidding. But when you said that, I challenged you. I said, go think about this because I guarantee there's an area in your life, I mean, I happen to know because you're my best friend, where you want perfectionism. So I'm just proud of you for the self-awareness. But I'm telling you, when we try to achieve these things where... <laughs> get a print again. You are a fucking mess. That should just be our intro is me going, you're a fucking mess. <laughs> Guys, for the listeners, I tried to print the episode notes. Oh, before. I thought we we're pausing. I thought we're just pausing and this is going to be cut out. No, we're just going to leave this oh. in there. Oh, I wouldn't have cursed so much unless it was my 12-year-old daughter. <laughs> then I would have been off the fucking rails. <laughs> no, I think we should cut this. Um, no, anyway. So anyway, I was trying to print the episode notes and my printer just caught up with that wow. um, command from 40 minutes, like ago. Okay, anyway. minutes ago. Time I'm for sorry. A new printer. 
back to back to this. When we are striving for something that is an ideal, it's because we perceive that that future version of ourselves that achieves that ideal is going to be better somehow, more yes. worthy somehow, more valuable somehow. Do you relate? Like when you think about a, a Melissa who's highly organized, which by the way, you can you can borrow my OCD husband anytime you want, please, to come organize your house. Um, I would welcome you. It. You visualize yourself in a, a more idealized state. Would you agree? Yes, a thousand percent. Also, maybe my thought about perfectionism was that I don't have that need, how we've always discussed how I don't always seek um, external validation very much. Maybe right. I don't have this need for others to view me yes. as perfect, which I do right. still agree with. But for my own sense, but now I'm starting to think, what is perfectionism? Is it how you want others to see you or is it how you want to achieve on your own? Because for me, it's truly like how I want to be. Like I want to be more organized. I want to be cleaner. I want to exercise more, you know, not because other people are telling me because like that's something I really want for me. Are you ready for the headline? Oh my God. Am I ever? Please. Oh my God. Perfectionism yeah. is yeah. anxiety. Oh no. <laughs> Damn it. Perfectionism is anxiety functioning as something that is meant to solve whatever it's worried about. And I'll tell you something. I coach so many perfectionists. And when I tell them that this is really their anxiety, after their head explodes and I make them go think about it and I give them an assignment actually I need one. to go write about. I need one because now okay. I'm like obsessed so with this idea. My mind is Perfect. blowing again. So when you want to really understand perfectionism and what it's trying to do and really see it as anxiety, I have people go do a quick Q&A with it where you're literally pretending like you're interviewing this, this other person, right? So you're really letting your perfectionism speak to you. And you just start asking it questions. Hey, what are you doing here? What do you want? What would make you happy? And you start to see what kinds of answers you get. And most of the time, when people can do this, they'll come back and say, it felt super anxious. It felt frenetic. It felt urgent. It felt like it needed to, you know, make sure that things were happening a certain way to protect me. It always comes back mm -hmm. to a form of trying to protect you from failure, from being um, rejected, from being seen as not enough. So it's pro a protection mechanism. Me attempting to improve upon myself and be cleaner and be more mindful of my organization and blah, 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 blah. Is that me being anxious or is that me working on myself? No. I think the difference between having goals for self-improvement yeah. and perfectionism is that one is something that we can work towards while being in total acceptance of self as we're working mm. towards it. Perfectionism says you are not enough. You have failed until this is done perfectly. Okay. I think that does kind of apply to how I feel about like my organization skills. And I always look at other yeah. people who are really organized in like the highest level of awe, which I guess yeah. I should just be like, they're more organized than me and not feel that I'm so disorganized. 
Yeah. You've idealized them yes. because they then speak to some lack that you think you have that if you were able to address, mm-hmm. you'd then be more valuable. Yeah. Why do I feel that that in particular is the the definition of being put together? Well, this is the whole point, I think, is that we all really believe we're lacking in some way. Hmm. We really do. I think that we are profoundly disconnected from our value. I think we talked about this in the Higher Self episode, where we truly are convinced that we're not enough or that we're too much at some point, right? I always say the core wound is like that coin, not enough, too much. And so I think without rehashing that, go listen to that episode, guys, if you haven't. Um, I think that we profoundly believe there's something missing, there's something lacking. There's just, if we do this one thing well, we will be more inherently valuable and more deserving of the accolades we're getting. I mean, a lot of perfectionists actually get a lot of positive attention. That's Hmm. the problem is that there's a very positive reward mechanism for perfectionism in our society. But again, and sorry. And that makes you feel sometimes even worse when you're a perfectionist because if the inherent belief system is I'm not enough, I'm fundamentally lacking something here and I have to prove myself and you're constantly being um, celebrated and given accolades, there's a part of you that feels like you have to work even harder to earn them because you don't believe them to begin with because the inherent core belief is I'm flawed. So why, why are we even talking about this? How did this come up? I think perfection was your idea, wasn't it? Yes, because I, we were brainstorming and I was saying, we were talking about what are some of the things I'm helping like really high achieving clients through. And I said, one of the through lines of my clients who have achieved really big things in their lives is that they have this issue with perfectionism. And Mm -hmm. when we're doing our work, it's um, really important. And what we've been able to do is not attribute perfectionism for the reason they're successful but really show them that perfectionism is why they're suffering while being successful. When we are successful at something we do, it has to do with our natural skill set. It has to do with our purpose and why we're here. And our purpose comes to us very easily. So think about a performer, a writer, um, a CEO, a leader, right? These attributes, what I find in people as I've been really studying purpose is when you're meant to do something that's good for you and for others, it comes to you naturally. It's part of your natural skill sets mm. and it's, it comes to you easily. And that is why we're successful. It's about doing the thing that you love and you're good at with diligence and focus and faith in yourself and in the outcomes. But those People who also are perfectionists have this extra layer of anxiety that creates this pressure to do that thing at a hundred percent all the time, because which causes them, yeah, which causes them to suffer while they're being successful at the thing they're good at. And so, really, like, think about it as a braid, unbraiding success from perfectionism is so important, so that we're not suffering while we're achieving while we're succeeding. Especially because they got to their level of success and fame and whatever, just being naturally who they were, that they shouldn't have to augment it in some way to make it even more perfect. I mean, you can continue to grow and evolve and work on things, but it doesn't have to be perfect since you can see the proof is in the pudding. You already got to where you are with your natural abilities or whatever level of your abilities. 
you have. They believe they got there because of the pressure that perfectionism put on them, oh. right? So they don't believe that it has to do – because, again, we inherently don't see our value, full stop. They believe that the reason they're succeeding is because of this pressure. And perfe perfectionism is also something that's handed down, right? So if parents put a lot of ac academic pressure on you or on themselves – if you watch a certain level of excellence being what needs to happen in the home, for example, it could come from anywhere, um, then you assume that that's where success comes from. You're not really – we're not taught to look inside. We're right. taught to look outside. We're taught to externalize all things, good and bad. And perfectionism is often mistaken as the engine for achieving when really it's the thing that's making the achieving harder. And making the experience of achieving really be painful. So how do you guide them then? How do you guide folks who, well, are, who are chasing this perfectionism and feeling like they can't achieve what they're looking for if they aren't doing it absolutely 100% perfectly? I really think that that first realization that perfectionism and anxiety are synonymous mm. is the opener. Because once you don't see it as such a holy grail, once you stop holding it in such high regard and you make it synonymous with something that has been in the bucket of suffering, anxiety, depression, then you start to completely look at it differently, right? It's like if you brought a baby tiger into your home thinking that it was a cat right. and it was so sweet and then you loved it and it was purring and it was so cute. And then I walked in and said, oh, that's a tiger. Suddenly you'd notice that its teeth were sharper and that it was growing bigger Literally. than a normal cat, right? Like Great you start analogy. To see, oh, thank oh. you. You start to see the danger yeah. in it. And I think just – and pointing out the danger and asking people to be aware of how does it create suffering in you while in parallel really helping people think about their purpose as something that's natural, that they're born with, that's here for a reason, that should be easy, that shouldn't cause so much pain and suffering. And can they see – you know, when you do something really, really well, Bean, you, yeah, really well, right? Is it because you pushed yourself or is it because the thing just naturally comes to you? Usually it's natural. It's some innate ability yeah. that I have. That That's where I'm the strongest, obviously, is where I'm innately stronger. Um, but I do yeah, work on absolutely. things to try to be better. But yeah, I don't, those yeah. aren't the areas where I feel the best about myself, I guess. Yes. Yeah. I think we just aren't taught that it should come easily. And then we live in hustle culture. Totally. Right? Where we totally. believe and we've been taught by all the books and the content that millionaires and billionaires and, and business people put out that waking up at 4 a.m. and working out and then they read the Wall Street Journal and then, the, you know, all that I keep bro saying I'm going to wake up early and exercise and then I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that When I read that stuff, I'm like, this is such a bro Oh, it hustle. is? I'm like, that makes sense. <laughs> no, it's so – and then it's like if that's not who you are – I mean, some people are just – their circadian rhythms, yeah, literally, agreed. based on their genealogy and where they come from, do not, are not morning people. It just is what it is. And then you immediately compare that to what you read in the Wall Street Journal. No, no hate Wall Street Journal. I'm just using that. Forbes, whatever. You, whatever article you read about, you know, the latest – billionaire who told you he woke up at 4 a.m. And then you feel less than. You feel like, oh, I will never make it because I don't have that inherent ability to do it. So I think hustle culture in our society really values and honors perfectionism as a god. Hmm. It really tells you that being perfect is exactly what you need to be chasing 
to achieve. And then it makes it harder for you to see it as that who baby tiger who even in your defines house? perfect though. I mean, what if, how did we all come up with this? Mm, idea? This is Ooh, a meaty question. How did, yeah. How did we decide that, that that is perfect getting up at 5am and doing this and meditating for an hour during the day? How did we decide that's the dream goal? I was reading an article over the weekend. I've been reading about this for some time um, around how this idea of perfect really is aligned and associated to whiteness in so many cultures because of colonialism and because of the ideals that we have been trained to hold for hundreds of years that says beautiful is light-skinned, beautiful is delicate features, um, intelligent is refinement, education has to look a certain way, there's a level of intellect that is required, a level of speaking. Think about how um, people think about um, cultures that don't speak this kind of refined English, right. right? And how negative that's been talked about in the past, where totally. if you are speaking slang, right, you don't seem as as intelligent, which then is measuring you against this like barometer of perfection that's literally been defined by white culture. And it comes from, I was saying, Think about colonialism. Think about Europeans coming to the Americas and looking at the indigenous people and putting them in schools to teach them how to speak and how to iron White. and how to cook and how to believe in, in one God because that's what good looked like. There was not any um, way of talking about how in that culture there was inherent perfection for who they were and what they were doing. Perfection had to do with assimilating to a standard of European whiteness Ouch. that then everyone is trying to attain. And when you don't look like that, and that's not your culture, what you do is you reject your truth. You reject who you are to try to reach for this other version that's been created by people who don't even look like you. And you're saying the key to unlocking that because we can't help but have these images seared into our brain and read all of these things and um, is really unraveling why it creates anxiety in us. That it is anxiety. That it is that anxiety. That it does create suffering. That it did start from a place of not accepting your inherent um, differences as being perfect and value, not perfect, wrong word, as being valuable, <laughs> as being enough. Um, beautiful, as being enough. And that it's about, you know, really changing your inherent truth to match some ideal that if you look at it historically was created from a place of power. But if taking all of that away, when we're dealing with day-to-day -day perfectionism, I think the question I would ask is, um, how is, how is it helping me and how is it hurting me? That's a great question for any situation in your life. How is it helping? How is it hurting? Because yeah, what's the benefit? Yeah. What's the cost? Most things we're struggling with often are not worth the struggle that or the torment that we're going through for it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I mean, it really shows up in so many different ways, I think, that I notice with my clients and myself. I mean, you tell me if you relate to any of these, but the first thing that I always notice when someone tells me they're procrastinating something. I work with a lot of creative that I'm writing a book. There's a lot of procrastination that happens in the creative process. Yeah. Usually when I hear that there's procrastination, that has to do with perfection. 
it's because there's a voice Ooh. in our head that says, don't do it until it's, it's perfect. Until it's perfect. Yeah. And so we're like, shit, there's no way I'm in a state, mental state to do this perfectly right now, or I know that it's not going to be perfect, so I just won't try. Wow. Procrastination is sign number one, which also is related to decision paralysis. You know, if you feel like you're having a hard time making decisions, it may be because there is this voice in your head that's convinced you it's got to be perfect to be good enough. I'm even thinking- Rather than just following your intuition- which is not about perfection. It's about your inherent wisdom. What were you going to say? I was going to say that you even thinking about an example with you is you are writing this book and I, you have told me it's been a struggle a lot of times because of these issues and that you finally did, you know, complete several chapters and then you still got some feedback from your editor that felt weird because you were already in your head about yeah. not being perfect enough. And then you got notes, which yeah. is totally normal for an editor to do. Right. And a, a book, like you don't just submit a book and they're like, great job. We'll print this right Beautiful. out there. First time author. Right. Yeah. No problemo. And you got notes and it still felt funny because you were already so in your head about it. Yeah, exactly. So I think we should work with you on unbraiding the anxiety. I agree. I agree. I have to have a lot of conversations with myself I'm about sure. that. And I'm, you know, I am, ask anyone who works with me, like I'm very particular about feedback depending on the mental state I'm in. I honestly didn't know this about you. I have worked with you in the past and I didn't know this about you until I started working on this this podcast with you. Yeah. If I'm in the right headspace and I'm in my aligned to my higher self, which truly believes that is all good. Yeah. Like there's this isn't personal. Right. Then I can absolutely engage in feedback in a really productive way. If I'm triggered and my perfectionism is active, then I can get really defensive yeah. around feedback because I feel like because the story I have is you don't actually know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. So then when someone says to me, well, explain this to me, or I disagree with this concept, then that part of me gets triggered and the perfectionism is like, perfectionism is like, oh, hell no. This is not acceptable. Yeah. You know what? I'm coaching someone right now mm -hmm. um, who is uh, a leader and um, she has been asked to get a coach because she's been got she's been getting a lot of feedback from the team that her leadership style is demoralizing. Oof. And people are in tears. <gasps> people are threatening to quit. My sound effects <laughs> always give me a good They're giggle. So good. <gasps> wow. People are Ooh. having a really hard time. And to the credit of her leaders, you know, they were like, "No, the solution is not disposability. It's yeah. like let's where's her area of growth?" And they yeah, found I me love and that. I was thinking about working that. with her. That's really yeah, awesome. She's an excellent leader. She's so smart. And when we un when I helped her see that the reason she's so hard on everyone else is because she's so hard on herself. Interesting. Then it got to be not about how do I add more exclamation points to the ends of my emails to make people think I like them, which was genuinely a solution that she had tried. Okay. To wait a minute, why am I being so hard on me? And how is that bleeding out? How is this judgment I have on myself because I'm a perfectionist demanding perfection from other people and then making them feel small because they're not achieving my version of perfection? And what we've been working on recently that's unlocked a lot for her is how are you looking at the person sitting across from you, that team member, and really doing the work to understand what is their purpose? What are they naturally good at? Am I working at their strengths or am I pushing them to achieve a level of perfection for me around my standards that's not even looking at their skill set 
And then it's using them and utilizing them in the wrong way. And so she's been trying to really do that. And we've been seeing huge progress and people just feeling seen. And then once they feel seen, they're excited to get your feedback and to try and to grow. But if you can't see them for their own attributes and their own value, and you're measuring them against your own internal perfection measuring stick, then they've been totally erased. And then there's no trust there. And that's where you get the tears and the demoralization. This story you're saying about this woman actually is a great segue, conveniently, to what- Segway. How do you spell segue? Do you know how to spell segue? S-E-G-W-A-Y. No. No. What? It's- no. Yes. It's if you pr- if I pronounced it segu, how would you spell it? Segu, S E G U E. Yeah. That's how you spell segue. No right? way. Rude. The English language can be so rude. Honestly, I also like to think of myself as a really strong speller, but now my per- uh, a perfect speller. Well, your spelling is imperfect, and now I'm kind <laughs> of offended that I didn't know that. Anyway, Whatever. I don't even know how we just got here. But that story reminded me of one of the questions that you did recently receive in a DM that was then handed to me by a producer um, that I will now read to you. My current workplace is a super high stakes, high stress environment. It feels like perfection is demanded and rewarded. And the people who get ahead are the ones that are on top of everything all the time. How do I get promoted and recognized in my workplace if I let my perfectionism go particularly if that's what my bosses are looking for. That's super true. I was just going to say that, or I was thinking, they are expecting perfectionism. So what are we supposed to do if you don't want to lose your job? It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, I I relate to this question. I worked in a PR agency for decades. um, And there is, especially in the agency world, a huge demand for quote unquote perfectionism because you're constantly trying to impress various kinds of clients um, under tight deadlines and you push yourself and you push yourself and you start to like compare yourself to one another, which was my least favorite. Um, I'm stressed out just hearing it. (laughs) I can tell you how I handled that um, in that environment. Any of our listeners who worked with me there are welcome to call me on this, but I'll also talk a little bit about how I, um, how I really work with my clients on this because it's a really, I'm glad that you read this one, it's a really yeah, common issue. I bet. You know, you can work so much on your own internal perfection, but when you work in an environment that demands perfection, then what do you do? How do you how do you then deal with this internal perfection versus external perfection? I think the first thing I'll say is you will be surprised how when you do address the internal need for perfectionism, it does allow you to show up even better in those cultures and stand out even more. And what I mean by that is when you're not just doing following the sheep and doing what everyone else is doing and competing with the other person and trying to be perfect, but you do pause and you really are thoughtful about why am I here? What why was I the one that was inherently uniquely good for this role or for this environment? What am I getting out of it? And what am I naturally able to add to it? That is, that is truly a value. When you get clear on that and you don't have anything to prove, there's an ease with which you work. It's like be your own hype girl. Be your own hype person. Yep. There's an ease with which you do the thing that you were there to do and it stands out. Trust me. People will describe you as, I don't know, they're just really confident. 
I don't know. It just seems like they really are good at this naturally. Um, you'll find that people start talking about you in this way where there's like this magic to what you're doing that they can't figure out. And all that it is, is that you're not chasing this illusion of perfection anymore. You've actually become aligned to your value in that place and what you're naturally good at and what you're there to do. So it's really about spending time making sure your motivation is not to be like them or chase the perfection that the environment's demanding, but get really clear on why you're there. Number one. Number two, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. The more boundaries you're able to create for yourself to do your job well, the better you will do. The more you say yes, out of a need to prove that you're perfect, the further you will stretch yourself, yeah. the more you will be working on fumes, the less, less effective perfect. you will be. And I'll tell you something. I, at one point, managed a group of 100 people. And the ones that were after the perfection were the ones that I had the hardest time getting the work I needed from because they were so focused on proving that they were perfect that sometimes they'd miss the softer stuff. They'd miss the intuitive stuff. They'd miss often what the client really was feeling when they were talking to them and what they were asking for in the subtext because they weren't connecting. When we are in perfection mode, we're in our heads. You are totally. in the voice, in the record that's playing in your head, which means you are not present and you are not connected to the people around you. The people that functioned in ways that were magical on my team were the ones who could just connect to the client, connect to the assignment, connect to the customer we were trying to reach, and would come up with these creative, innovative ideas. And um, maybe the way they worked felt a little more chaotic. Maybe it didn't feel as linear. And that was hard on, th on those that were linear. But by really embracing their value as like, no, I'm the creative thinker here. Or I'm the one that really understands what the audience wants. Then they were able to be coming from a connected place. So just remember that even if the environment demands perfection, the best way to stand out in that environment is to do the opposite, to get really centered in who you are and be confident in your value. And when you emanate that, that is like something people don't know how to do and they don't know how to replace either. And you become irreplaceable in those environments. Love that. I feel like that is definitely applies to how you were at your agency. I think people looked at you with a sense of magic, like she's really meant to be doing this. I don't know that there was any sense. I of wasn't magic. there. That's how I looked people. at you. <laughs> yeah, no, there was amazing people. I don't think I like shown more brightly than others, but I will say there was a way that I did not allow the job to define my sense of value that did make people feel more comfortable around me. And then the more comfortable people were around me, the more they wanted to work with me and the more they wanted to produce good work with me. And so it was about the energy that was created in those groups yeah. that made it just more enjoyable. And when you're having a good time, then the work shows the good time that you're having. When you're stressed out and you're under pressure and you're trying to be perfect, totally. the work also shows that strain energy. Again, you could apply this to life. Like I always say, this exactly. is so applicable in so many areas. So true. Well, Bean, thanks for um, humoring me and talking about perfection. I know it was that perfect. At first you didn't relate. It was perfect. <laughs> it was perfectly imperfect. No, I totally relate. And honestly, everything you said now, I completely can relate to, and I can apply to so many different areas. All right, Bean. Well, 
All right. Love you much. I love you. Thanks for being the perfect BFF. You're the perfect BFF. This has been another episode of Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. This podcast is co-hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and Melissa Grushka. Special thanks to my production team, Anushree Thekadet, Arman Kassam, and Anais Islami. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. See you then.